Well, what an important promise as we go into a new year. And as I was just joining in with Pastor Kelvin's heart and looking out at, at all of us here and realizing that there are, there are many challenges and hardships and heartaches I know that, that don't necessarily come to an end because the year has changed. They roll into the next year and you have great concerns on your heart. And maybe uh, as we've been going through this series and thinking about the challenges and the hardships of life and the preacher was urging his congregation in the book of Hebrews to hold on and hang in, it will be worth it. Maybe some of us out here today are just kind of at the edge of that place. And um, we've just been singing a song that really is quite based on the promise that Jesus has made to us. I will never leave you. And I will never forsake you. Amen. That's a huge promise. That's, that's the promise, right, that brackets the core of the gospel. Where Jesus says, go make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and teach them to obey whatsoever things I've commanded you. And, and then he buttresses it. He, he founds it on the platform of, and I'm not going to leave you. And I'm not going to forsake you, no matter what. So hold on to the one who's holding on to you. Let's pray. Father, as we join together as a congregation and gather around songs of praise and prayer and your word now, we're asking you to hold us fast, O oh God. We know you've promised to. We're not asking you to do something you didn't promise to do. But in faith, we are asking you to do what you've promised to do. To don't leave us. Don't forsake us. Hold on to us. Because we can barely hold on, Lord. Sometimes we can just barely hang in. And you know that. You know we come to you at times with, with feeble, a feeble grasp. Because life is so so relentlessly pounding on us. <clears throat> so I pray for my brothers and sisters today. I thank you that you've brought us together in this family. We love each other. We love you. We trust you. We're holding on to you. You're holding on to us. And as we go into this year, Lord, although we don't know what is before us, we do know who goes before us. And we know your heart is good and strong mighty and so we trust you we ask today lord as you speak to us from your word that we will listen and will not make excuses because there are spiritual realities that are up to us there are strategies and tactics that you have left to us to engage in that we might benefit from all that we can have in you Although we rely on you for everything and all our strength comes from you, you won't do everything for us. And so I pray, Lord, that as we launch into this year, we will set a good pattern right now in our lives of paying attention to this text today and starting a new strategy in our lives for spiritual health, oh God. For Jesus' sake I pray, amen. Well, how many, I'm wondering how many of you in here are runners, 
you jog, you run, you have like, can I see a show of hands here? I'm just trying to get a, a grip on who's the healthiest congregation, the one before or this one. I saw Phil Powers' hand be forcibly, be forcibly put up, which I'm not buying one little bit, but anyway. Um, how many of you have like treadmills? Many more hands than actually run. They are just reminders, aren't they, that we're not running. I hate running. I, I got to be honest with you. I don't like running. I, I, I hate it. I won't do it unless I'm chasing a ball or skating after a puck or something that is meaningful. I'm not just going out there and running around my neighborhood. You know what I mean? It's just not happening. So you can imagine my concern when I opened up Hebrews chapter 12 and the, the, the urgency there, the command there was, let us run. I'm like, Lord, this is, this is not speaking to me. So I, I, had to, I had to read a little further, and I'm reading, let us run um, with perseverance the race marked out for us. That's our command today. That's, that's really where we're going to launch from 2018. That's the text, Hebrews chapter 12. And apparently... What was happening then is uh, the preacher, of course, is preaching his sermon to his congregation in the book of Hebrews, and, and he's encountering that they had all kinds of treadmills, but they weren't running. It was just reminders that they weren't doing what they were called to do. And somehow they got the idea that the Christian life was a, a life of ease and a life of uh, everything would go well and no, there'd never, never be any more problems and everybody would love you and like you and take care of you and all that. And they, they encountered that it was very difficult to live the Christian life. And they'd come to a place where they were ready to quit. They were ready to give up. Many in that congregation were saying, if this is what Christianity is, I'm out. So this was a really crucial time as he comes to this point in his sermon He's talking to them now, he's encouraging them, he's cheering for them, and he's saying, and he's talk, talking about himself too, he, the preacher there was in the same kind of atmosphere in Rome, persecution was increasing, it was getting tougher and tougher, and, and, and people were, were under great threat, and he's like, we, we've got to make some changes in our life. And so he gives them this command, let's run, Okay? We're not talking about jogging, we're not talking about lazy, you know, aimless, costless, kind of ambling around, walking around. We have to run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So um, I want to turn your attention to that text, no lazy, carefree stroll for us. And there's a reason, because we will not succeed spiritually if we ignore the strategies that are given to us here. We will continue in 2018 to experience the same spiritual unwellness that we had in 2017 unless we make some dramatic changes in our lives. And that's what he's talking about here. It's hard to know whether some of them were sold Christianity by a, a snake oil salvation salesman by the name of Benny or Joel, but for some reason, these guys, these people were struggling when the real deal came along. And it starts out, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. 
Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons and daughters of the Lord. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? This is the word of God. You can't really begin a sermon with the word therefore. So we've sort of jumped into the text in the middle of a long stream of, of information and thought. And we have to pay attention, first of all, so that we can set, get a setting here that will help us launch into uh, an ability for us to, to strategically live spiritually for 2018. Therefore, we have to go back at least to the near context. I mean, he's talking about the whole of this sermon. This is one long flow. Unfortunately, chapter 12 was a kind of an abrupt interruption. Probably should have never been a chapter change there. It should have continued on. But 11 goes on so long, someone said, well, you know what, we've got to cut this somewhere. Let's cut it right here at therefore. Uh, not really great. So, therefore, what, what are we, in chapter 11, we realize that there's this whole list of names of champions of the faith. They're all listed here. There's all descriptions of them and, and how they remained faithful to the Lord. And when, by the time we get down to verses, uh, like verse um, 36, uh, we start reading, you know, women, or, or for 36, some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword, they went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. And he wanted to say, what's your problem? But he didn't. Because he's a loving pastor and he just said this, though these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us, meaning the people he was preaching to and us, the people I'm preaching to, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. And then he goes on to exhort them, therefore, you can do it. That's what this message is really all about. You can have spiritual excellence, and you have an advantage over the excellent, faithful ones of your historic past. The people who he's listed here, this long chapter of Hall of Famers in faith, held on to their commitment to the living God in spite of incredible opposition and incredible persecution 
And in, in times where they could have justifiably said, I'm, I'm quitting, I'm out of here, this is too hard. And he says, they didn't even receive what was promised. Well, what was it that they didn't receive that had been promised? That now the writer can say the Hebrews have received and we know we've received. It's Messiah. The promised salvation had come. The audience that he's preaching to and saying, hold on to your faith. Hold on to the the cause that you have been called to. You can because you've received something better. The people who were remaining faithful to the Lord prior to Messiah did not have the same, um, the same advantage as you currently have. They could only hope from a distance. They had been promised the Messiah would come. They had been promised that the fulfillment of their faith and their salvation would come and that it would be worth it all to remain faithful to the living God. But they had not yet seen or heard of with their own eyes or ears that Messiah had in fact come. But the New Testament community of which we are We know Messiah has come. We just celebrated this past Christmas the reality of what Christ has done and and, and that Emmanuel is here, God with us, that he died and he was buried and he was resurrected and salvation promise has been fulfilled for us. And so we're not a hope-so people. We're a no-so people. This is the something better that we enjoy. And so the preacher could say to them, look at I know it's tough. I know it's really tough. But I'm telling you, we have something better. Therefore, in light of this great cloud of witnesses, the history of the faith, and all of our forefathers and and foremothers and those godly people before us who stuck with it, Believing it would happen. It has happened. Now let's not let them down. Let's not let the Lord down. Let's not give up on this thing. Because together, he says here, only together with us would they be made perfect. It is the nature of this reality in Christ that salvation has now been fulfilled. And the whole community before and after are now brought into one family of God. Don't give up on this. Jesus has come. Not only that, you have received the guarantee of your salvation, the deposit of the Holy Spirit of God. Not something they enjoyed. The Holy Spirit came and went. The Holy Spirit now is a permanent, indwelling resident of everyone who is part of the family of God to energize us and to strengthen us and to enable us to put in practice the strategies we're going to talk about in a few moments this morning. So he, this is why he says, therefore, since all of this is true, let us run. Now, The let us run is the major focus of this section. Uh, Although you see two other let us's, this is the only one in the original translation or the only original language. What it really says here is not let us throw off, but throwing off everything 
that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, let us run fixing our eyes on Jesus. The whole thing's a package deal. It's not three separate ideas. It's one idea. You want to run the race? This is the deal. Throwing off, fixing our eyes. So, and then he gets down to verse 7. It says, enduring hardship. For discipline's sake, endure hardship. So I want to look at three um, strategies today um, for um, running this race. Let us run in bold, bold, uh, um, with boldness. We learn from this text that there are unhealthy things that are in the way of our race. And we are regularly people who put the race at risk. It's not God. It's not the Holy Spirit. It's us. We are our own worst enemy in terms of running this race properly. In fact, when, when I think about what we look like to the Lord, when He calls out to us, but this is His word. This is His command to us. 2018, Calvary, run the race. Run the race with perseverance marked out for you. But when he looks at us, this is more often what I think he sees. I'm going to have to get myself prepared for the Christian race. Just a second. It's very cold out today. I don't even know if I want to go to church. It's a little cold to go to church. So I'm going to just put on some real warm stuff to run this race. I'm going to put this on and and, uh, you know, everybody likes a little recreation from time to time. So I'm looking forward to, looking forward to uh, coming. And, of course, I got a lot of work to do, so I better pick up my briefcase and carry that around too. And you know what? I love, I love vacations. You know, um, I'd love to be regular t- tender at church, but, man, like every other weekend, I'm kind of liking to pack my bag and get away and... Here I am, Lord, I'm, I'm running the Christian race. What, what would you like me to do? Oh, you, you, you'd like me to serve in the Tuesday night? Well, Tuesday night programs, yeah. Um, oh, you know what? I haven't checked Facebook in like 15 minutes. Just a second, Lord. I, I got I to gotta go check Facebook out to see what my scheduling is looking like. Oh, wow. Wait a second. A recipe on how to make seven-layer squares. That's, that's something I'm really interested in. Just a second. I gotta re- Sorry, Lord. I, I gotta, if you don't mind, I've got to read this for a bit of time. Wow. Lynn Baker doesn't like the seven-layer square recipe. <laughs> Interesting. But there's lots of likes from, uh, from most of the ladies. That's good. What else is there? I better check the calendar. What was it you said again, Lord, you wanted me to do... Um, Tuesday night, well, kids have, let's see, baseball, Monday, they got hockey Tuesday, Wednesday, they've got ballet, uh, Thursday, you know what, Thursday, I just enroll, enrolled them in Tiddlywinks Strategy and Tactic Club, <laughs> so um, prayer time, wait, I got to check Instagram, prayer, some prayer time, Lord, <laughs> reading the Bible, oh, wait a minute, there's a push notification from from uh, the Bruins. That's, that's interesting. 
This is how we're running the race. And we are complaining to one another that, you know, I feel so spiritually depleted. I really feel like I haven't got much going on with the Lord. And I wish He would, I wish he would do more for me. I wish, I wish He would help me more with my, my life. But, um, well, more Bible time reading? Yeah, I'd love, to, I'd love to work that in. I'm just trying to think how I could get... How I could get that in once a week on my schedule. I could put into Sunday. Oh, oh there goes the chair. <laughs> and so we are a sorry group of people. Not running the race at all. We're overloaded with hindrances. We're entangled in sin. I'm keeping my boots on because they're warmer in here. <laughs> it's the one encumbrance I'm keeping. We've lost our focus. And we're in the throes of losing our heart for the Lord. That's what's happening here in this text. And we got to do something about it. And so the preacher gives us three things we need to do. Three things for 2018. The first decision of 2018. By the way, this challenge, if you are willing and you want to get really healthy spiritually and you want to experience the biggest spiritual upgrade perhaps you've ever no, ever, ever had or ever imagined? The strategy, if you employ the strategies that are here, you will experience a remarkable change in your life in 2018. The Word of God is virtually guaranteeing it to us. And, and so with the three, let's launch into it. The first is this, throwing off everything that interferes with the race. Do you notice this? No, nobody prepares. When you're preparing to run a race, it was, it's absurd to do what I did. Who in the world, if they were going to run a race, would say, wait a second, I got to go and gather up a bunch of stuff and put it all over me to run the race? Who would do that? What we do when we run a race is get as light as we can, don't we? We off as much as possible. Nobody prepares to run like this. It's, it's not only inefficient, it's dangerous. Consider the wisdom of public transit in Africa. The picture you are looking at right now is the bus that I was, about, I was prepared to embark upon that was already jammed with people. But in developing countries, there's no such thing as a bus jammed with people that can't take at least one more person. The thing is, at every stop, there's three or four more people. And when you get on, when I got on, by the time I got on this bus, I was wedged into the bus, and my, my whole body was being pressure, force pressured by 
at least five or six different individuals who were crushed against me. And we would come to another stop and say, you know what, no, sorry, this bus is full. This bus, no, this bus isn't full, it's stopping. And there are more people getting on this bus. You are jammed into this bus. Not only are you jammed into the bus, but everybody who comes has luggage and potatoes. (laughs) Bags of potatoes. And they put them on top of the bus. And they keep piling them on top. You say, I'm sorry, but the, the roof is now full. You can't put anything more in the bus. Oh, no, we can put more on that pop, top of that bus. We'll put a potato sack on top of a potato, and we'll build this huge teepee of, uh, on the bus and tie everything on. And the thing is teetering and full of people and going windy roads. And you're like, this is not the way to live. Our lives are like overcrowded developing country buses filled with stuff. And do you notice in the text here, it says that we are to throw off everything. It wasn't that the people were bad. The people are good. The bags of potatoes are good things. But it, it says here, throwing off everything. See that word? Don't look at me. Look at your text. The first verse. You're to throw off everything. Good things that are interfering with the race, that are interfering with your spiritual development, opportunities to pray, to study the Word of God, to be part of an ongoing program or, or, or leadership or, or engaged in, in serving in some way. And when you look at something, you say, well, I can't, Lord, because... Is it a good thing that is in the way of a better spiritual thing? Because the text here says you better consider what is hindering you in the race. Everyone, everything that's weighing you out of the race, whatever you could do with respect to advancing your spiritual vigor but you don't because something else is hindering you, better be audited, considered, thought about in your life. So it's, it's everything that hinders, but also and the sin that so easily entangles. Sin has a way of pulling us into itself. We have a family cat that is, has been fostered out of our home because of its sinful behavior <laughs> and has been given to our daughter, Bronwyn, to see if she can do a better job rearing it than we've done. See, he's a very rambunctious guy. And he knows there's one thing that really bugs me. And that is taking the Christmas decorations off the tree. Because I'm the decorator of the tree. And I take great... (laughs) I know, Jen, you find that hard to believe. But I am. And I take great pride in my tree, decorating it. And I've watched how sin pulls him in. He used to do it behind my back when I wasn't around, and then he got bold. Even when I'm in the room now, he's doing it. 
So I'm sitting down watching him, and, and I couldn't believe myself. He, he, I couldn't believe my eyes. He walks over to the tree and sits in front of it, first of all. Because I wanted to see how this thing happens. He sits in front of it. And then he moves closer to it until he can touch the tree. And then he rubs his head against an ornament or two. And sin, you see, the desires of his heart are pulling him in. And he's testing it and touching it and tasting it. And the sin is becoming more and more an obsession with him. And then all, all of a sudden, things start flying off the tree. Because sin now has become full-blown in his life and has taken full life and, and control of him. And now he's a full-blown sinner. That's why we fostered him out to another home. So if you come over to my house and take ornaments off my tree, I'll foster you out as well. Sin entangles. It, it pulls us in and draws... He can't help himself now. I've watched him. He can't help himself. I smack him. I, I yell at him. I do everything. But he will take the pain just to enjoy the sin. He can't help himself. He needs to get saved. <laughs> a relationship, a device. Do you realize, you know what is the worst thing right now? This. And it's not Christians who are saying this. The secular society is telling us that our phones are destroying our lives. They're taking over our lives. They're, we are obsessed with our phones. We are addicted to what our phones are doing to us. The phone, this phone knows more about me than Lynn knows. It does. It's paying attention to what I look at, what, what I'm interested in. I, I, you know, I, I go searching for something to buy and then I realize all of a sudden I've got like ads coming up all the time for the very thing I was looking for. I'm like, how did that happen? Someone's tracking me. They're tracking you. This thing, every time I pick it up now, it lights up. It's a new version. It, my old one used to stay dark all the time. This one lights up. It, it, we can't stop ourselves. We're like, I wonder what's how we go to this. It, it's, it's obsessing us. We actually have to take control of our lives and look at what's hindering us or the sin that's entangling us. If we are toying with sin, I mean, seriously, we are... We are, we are going to continue to be spiritually disabled. We are going to cripple, we continue to cripple ourselves spiritually. So we throw off. We've got to throw off. We've got to, we've got to pay attention. The second is a right focus. See what it says? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Right focus. We, got, we have to decide what race we're actually in. We, we have to pay attention to the, the, the course of the race. You see what the, the, the race is all about? It's a, a race marked out for us, and we're to fix our eyes on Jesus. Why would we do that? Uh, when I was in university, um, there were a bunch of guys uh, who, who uh, big guys who were rowing, uh, rowing uh, athletes, who happened to uh, be looking for someone 
to be a coxswain on their boat. And so they found a guy in university who had the, uh, the body of a, an average grade 8 kid. And that was me. Um, so they spied me at university, uh, all 115 pounds, and said, you're going to be our coxswain. We're putting you in the back of our boat because the idea is you want as light a person because they're you know, you're not pulling your weight. You're just sitting in the back of the boat. And they said, all you have to do is steer the boat and, and you, you tell us the rhythm and all that stuff and, and you'll be fine. And so we give you a string in this hand and a string in that hand and it pulls the rudder and that's all you do. And I said, oh, I can. And by the way, we win medals. And I said, I'm in because uh, I don't like losing. So they said, well, you know, we'll, we'll win. So we did, we did. We won uh, Eastern Canada, and then we decided, well, we're going to set our sights on the U.S. So we went to the biggest regatta in the U.S. in Philadelphia, the, the annual Dad Val Regatta in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, on the Schuylkill River. Now, I had always been used to racing on straight lines. Every race here in Ontario was, was, was straight line races. But the Schuylkill River has a bend, bend in it. And, and so I, I'd never... I'd never done this race before, and we got in the preliminary heats, and um, there weren't lane markers like you see in the Olympics. You know, you've seen rowing in the Olympics, they got lane markers and everything, which is really nice. But our lane markers were on this bridge, this bridge somewhere on, on the, in, in this river, and, and the, mar- the lanes were marked out on the bridge. Well, so I'm like, okay, fine, I can handle this. So we're, we're in the middle of uh, this race, and, and uh, I didn't take into account the big sweeping, uh, you know, I was just focusing on the bridge, you know, like, there's our lane. And so um, I said to the stroke in front of me, who's, that's, that's who, the, who the guy rowing there, he, I said, uh, there's someone encroaching in our lane. And he says to me, ram them. <laughs> and like, that's, that's my kind of language. That's like, that's like raw meat to a, to a, a lion. I'm like, ram them. All right. So I said, ramming speed, that's what we're doing. You know, you've seen those Roman movies? Like, let's, let's take these guys out. So, plus they're Americans. I mean, of course we're going to take them out. And uh, yeah. so, so uh, we swung around, and they kind of kept ahead of me, and I never was able to ram them, but we did, we did qualify in the preliminaries and all that. So I was pretty proud of myself, but all of a sudden I see this boat racing at me like, like fast with all these kind of official-looking guys in it, and I'm like, they're going to congratulate us Canadians for how well we did in this race. The guy wheels up to me. He says, what were you thinking? I said, what are you talking about? He says, if you had have rammed that boat, which it looks like you were trying to, he said, we would have disqualified you because you were encroaching in his lane. He wasn't in your lane. I'm like, oh, well, okay, the, the focus was wrong. It's the same with us in our walk with Jesus, in our, in our running of this race. If we try to run this race ourselves and just try to live our spiritual life any way we want to, just looking at the wrong things, mo- most of us have the focus in the wrong place. We're focusing on what we want, or we're focusing on what our spouse wants, or we're focusing on what our job wants. We're focusing on the rat race and not the race that Christ wants us to run. And that's why the preacher here said, you've got to focus your eyes on Jesus. He's the author of the race. He's the perfecter of your faith. He's the one who's already run this race successfully. He's the one who can lead you around that bend so you don't encroach in the wrong lane, so that you're actually in the right lane and you're moving the right way. This is what you've been called to do. So fix your eyes on Jesus. You get your eyes off Jesus and you're going to be in the wrong lane. And what did Jesus do as well? He 
focused on, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God because he, he, it, it was for the joy that was set before him. You must look past the immediate in your life to the ultimate, the finish line, to what Jesus has accomplished for us and what is laid up for us. What does it mean that Jesus scorned the shame and how can we learn to do that? What does that mean? Jesus teaches us here that when he was on the cross, there was no greater shame in terms of, of public uh, uh, public uh, shame than to have your to, to be hung on a cross naked on a cross in front of everyone it says Jesus scorned the shame he didn't focus on the shame he scorned the shame that wasn't rightfully his anyway he didn't deserve that he so he scorned the shame and set his focus on the prize that was set before him he scorned the pain and focused on the prize that's the plan of Jesus for our lives. There's going to be all kinds of pain in our lives. There is presently pain in our lives. If we don't learn to scorn the shame, scorn that, and, and focus on the prize, the ultimate prize, we will not run the race with vigor and with energy and with enthusiasm. For the joy that was set before him, he scorned the shame. Finally, we are called here to endure hardship. In fact, the verse, if you, in verse 7, if you actually translated it um, word for word, it would be for discipline, endure hardship. So the emphasis is on the matter of discipline. Now, I could go into all kinds of athletic metaphors here and say, you know, no pain, no gain, all that kind of stuff. But this goes even deeper than that. This, these hardships that we have to endure are evidences of God's love for us. That's what's presented here for us. Consider the hurts of hardship to be how God turns the table in your favor. Because there's two kinds of hardships that will come, or, or two kinds of, of, of reasons hardships will come our way. The first is this, sinful people will make your life miserable. Jesus was hanging on the cross because of sinful people. But keep in mind, it was the Father's will that he be crucified. Jesus was never at the mercy of sinful people. Not once, not ever, not in eternity past, and not at the moment of the crucifixion. It was the will of the Father. And the Father used sinful people to accomplish His purposes in Christ Jesus for us. And He is promising us that He will do the same for us. He will allow sinful people to cause hardship in our lives that He might in fact turn the tables on wickedness and accomplish great things in our life. The good news for all Christians is no matter how tough it is, no matter how painful it is, no matter how troubling it is, it has gone across the desk of our Lord, who has in fact chosen to permit this to be a part of your life because he loves you. He is working the finishing touches on your faith. 
When I was first starting out my soccer career, you didn't know I had a soccer career. When I was first starting out my soccer career, I can remember uh, being ecstatic that I made the soccer team. I was, when I was quite young, made the soccer team, told my mom and dad, I made the soccer team. Our first soccer game is this. My dad, yeah, we'll be there. So uh, it was one of those spring days that are cold and rainy, you know, early in the season. It was horrible. And I, I see my dad and my mom arrive. It's great. And but they decide to sit in the car, leave the car on warm and all that nice thing. And, and they go watch the game from the car. And I'm, I'm, I'm expecting to go out and, you know, score 15 goals and impress them. And, and, and when the starting lineup ran out in the field, guess who wasn't going out? Yes, me. I was left standing on the side. It was like, coach must have made a mistake. No, no, I don't want you out there. Um, so here I am standing on the sidelines, freezing to death, getting rained on, not playing, embarrassed and ashamed. You know, my parents had come out, and here I am, failure. So I decided, I'm not standing here on the sidelines. My dad and mom are sitting in a warm car. That's where I'm going. So I left, I left the sidelines, walked, got in the car. My dad's like, what are you doing? Um, uh, I said, I'm quitting. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to stand out in the field and freeze. If they don't, can't recognize talent, then I'm just going to sit. I'm just going to sit, <laughs> sit in the car. And uh, my dad says, you can imagine, get out of the car right now and go back to the bench and sit there. And someday, you'll be on the field. And I'm glad my dad sent me out there. Someday I was on the field and I had a, a moderately effective soccer career. <laughs> And coached soccer for years and enjoyed and loved it. God is at work in our lives, even in the hardships and the difficulties. He is, if you will, hardening your ship so that it can handle the storms of life that are going to come your way. Sinful people are instruments of God's training school. This is how he asks us to view the reality of what's going on in our lives. But if we are in hardships because of our own sin, see, consider uh, in your struggle against sin, if we are facing hardships because of our own sin, the scriptures tell us this, that our God will rebuke us and he will punish us. Because he loves us, and we are part of his family. Here's, the, here's the, the, the reality. If you are living in sin, if you are in, in continuing to just sin after sin after sin, and God is ignoring you, that's a very, very bad sign. Because God does not ignore the sins of his children. He disciplines us as a good father disciplines a child that is out of line. And so you have, you know, you know when, when you are in a third world bus that is overloaded with people and stacking things on the roof, there are certain physical principles of safety. The brakes were not made for three times the number of people. There's a tipping point to everything that goes around corners. And you stack stuff high enough, and eventually something's going to roll over. And when you're driving on those buses 
in a, in a developing country and you look off to the side, you see many carcasses of old buses and trucks that have rolled off because they ignored all the rules. God loves us so much that he won't allow us to ignore the rules in our life for our own good. He disciplines us, rebukes us because he loves us. Therefore, verse 12, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. This is your call. You can either remain spiritually disabled throughout 2018, or you can enjoy the strongest spiritual development and upgrade that you have ever known. But it'll be up to you. God has not changed, His power is not different. The Holy Spirit is still available. Uh, what we believe and what, what our faith is all about is still true. But the bottom line is, will you throw off the things that are in the way of the race? Will you fix your focus on Jesus? And will you endure hardship as an act of God's love in your life? If you do, you will experience the greatest year spiritually you've ever had no longer weak knees and feeble arms but now you will have pathways for strong legs strong arms spiritual health father i pray and ask you that we would not go quickly past your strategy for spiritual stamina in 2018 I pray, O oh God, that we would actually practically engage in what is necessary here, taking a personal journey with you in terms of what needs to change in our lives for this year. If we are going to endure the hardships, the persecution, the trouble, then we have to prepare for a race. And we have to prepare, Lord, by paying attention to your word and what you say to do prioritizing you, focusing on you, and believing that you love us and you care for us. And that as one writer stated, it is through fire and flood that you save us. So we better be prepared. In Jesus' name, amen. So if that is the desire of your heart, to follow Jesus, no turning back, then there probably need to be some changes in your life for 2018. And I think each of us need to really get serious about a, a few questions. Are we race ready? Or does our life look like a crammed developing world bus? We need to we need to make sure not only are we ready for the race but are we in the right race are we in the Jesus race are we setting our sights on Christ and following along with him and then finally in this race are we ready to endure hardship as discipline as something beneficial to us whereby God is demonstrating his love for us incredible love and control, sovereign control, to take sin and the sin of other people and turn it around 
and make something good happen in our lives? That's a pretty amazing thing. These three questions have to be answered honestly for 2018 to be a year of spiritual upgrade. So let's see that it is. Father, I just pray for my brothers and sisters here, people I love so much and that you love so much. I pray, oh God, that we would step up to your agenda for us this life, the race marked out for each one of us. Let us run, not fall back. Let us run with vigor and energy and enthusiasm. Let us, oh God, take care of what we must take care of so we can run. For Jesus' sake, amen.